Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. All right, all right, all right, ladies and gentlemen. This is Lorenzo Elvis Murphy calling from Compton Politics this tonight. It's a good night tonight. Tonight was a nice day. We had a nice week all the way from last week's show. A lot of things went on. Um, things that's happening right now for our election. You know what I'm saying? So I want to know who everybody's voting for. Who you want to be president? You got three people that's kind of in a races of winning the election as far as Trump, Hillary, and uh, Bernie Sanders. Those are, uh, you know, qualified people, you know what I'm saying, to be president. So basically, I've been following it, and I've been asking a lot of questions about that. Who do people think would need to be president? I'm trying to find a circle for my uh, guest tonight. Hold on just a moment. Let me see something. Okay. I see it's a Southern California car rider. Who is this on the line? Are you silent tonight? No. Who is this on the line? Illyria. Okay, okay. I'm going to put you on mute, okay, because I'm waiting on my guest to come in, okay? Okay. All right. All right. All right, back to uh, council politics. If you've been watching in the news, a couple of things happened today uh, around the nation to where uh, a guy stole a police car. I don't know how he did that but he went on a high-speed chase and took the police all around the... Let me see who this is on the line. Hold on just a moment. Hold on just a moment. Just come to politics. I'm trying to see who is this that just came in. I hope it's my guest. Let me see. Try one more time. Okay. Who is this on the, on the line? Just come to politics. Yes, this is Omar Bradley. All right, all right. Okay, I know where you're at. Thanks a lot for calling in. I'm just getting started, Mr. Mr. Bradley. Thank you for calling in. I know this is going to be an exciting show tonight. I appreciate you calling in. Um, this is a great opportunity for both of us and the company that I work with is T25CL.com, Galaxy Talk Radio. Uh, this is Compton Politics. I am the host, Lorenzo Elvis Murphy. Uh, this station is a worldwide, this worldwide station on a global level, and we really appreciate you coming to the table of being able to be the voice for the community for yourself at the same time, you know? Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm going to ahead, go ahead and just do a little announcements and stuff. I was talking about what's going on in, you know, in the community, how this guy uh, just sold a car. You know, I was reading, in, you know, on Facebook, there was this man that, uh, you know, I like to hit on different subjects, you know. We need to be aware of what's going on out there. Uh, it was a young girl went to the bathroom at a church um, somewhere, and a, a, a young man at the church went to the bathroom and, you know, Molested her, you know what I mean? But the police did catch him. They know who the guy is, and thank God that he was able to get caught. But we also got to be conscious of making sure we believe what our kids are coming to tell us, people out there. You know what I'm saying? Because there's people out there that just really don't care about kids. 
So let's understand that it's real out here, and, uh, you know, we've got to be aware of protecting our kids. So that's all I have to say as far as that, ladies and gentlemen. This is the company Politics for Lorenzo Elvis Murphy. I'm calling about a San Pedro right now. It's, you know, I'm tired. I just walked like about three miles to get here. I was running late. Sorry for my tardiness. At the same time, I wanted to go ahead and get straight to Mr. Bradley. Mr. Bradley, I wanted to thank you for calling in. And um, really, this is an opportunity for you. This is, you know, it's basically have me having respect for you to T25CL.com, Catholic Talk Radio, and Content Politics. Have a respect for you for who you are. And, you know, really, this is your platform for you tonight. So uh, I would like for you to just, you know, talk about what you'd like to talk about. And I'll come in and elaborate after you. You feel what I'm saying? So it's all the respect first. Well, thank you so much. So uh, as your listeners may know, I was the mayor of Compton from 1993 to 2001. Prior to that time, I was the councilman of the 1st District of the city of Compton. I was the youngest elected council person in the history of the city prior to Mr. Galvan. I served with uh, Walter Tucker, who later became the congressman, Patricia Moore, who was the councilwoman, Bernice Woods, who was the illustrious councilperson of the 3rd District, and Jane Robbins, who was the council person of the 4th District, and in fact, her grandfather was the founder of the city of Compton. So historically, as a Comptonite, I had a, a, a wellspring of knowledge, both before the African-American community became the predominant population, and certainly afterwards. Uh, I served as the city councilman of the 1st District when the 92 rebellion took place, and I was here as the mayor when we had to uh, put together over $100 million to try to rebuild the town since we did have $98 million in damages in less than two days. I also saw the birth of uh, what has come to be known as rap music, gangster rap specifically, and I saw the adverse effects of that genre, how indeed and in fact our population began to change, based on the images that were being pressed in our young people's minds. Right, so I had, right. a, uh, had a multifaceted experience as an elected official here. More importantly, I was born and raised in Compton. Uh, when DJ Quick said he was born and raised in Compton, you know, a lot of people who say they were born and raised in Compton might have been raised in Compton but weren't naturally born in Compton. I was right. actually born in Compton. Sure. And a hospital in Compton, brought mm-hmm. home to a house in Compton, and I have lived in Compton all 57 years of my life. Wow. So I haven't had a break from the city of Compton, and I don't mean a break as a timeout. I mean, there's been no break in my existence here in the Compton community. I've seen Compton go from its highest heights to its lowest lows. Uh, as a young politician, growing up and also as a teacher at the same time, the thing that fascinated me most about Compton was the propensity of our young people to kill one another. And in fact, it was the death of little Philip Fisher at two years old in 1991 that made me decide to run for city council person because I thought, and I still believe, that there is a solution to gang violence in Compton. And I believe that that solution is opportunity. So my goal as a council person and later on as mayor was to turn the financing of the city to the people. In other words, if there was going to be a contract in Compton, 
I thought the people of Compton should have the capacity and the opportunity to bid on that contract, to receive that contract, because after all, that's the only way that our young people would have an opportunity to work if indeed, in the fact, the city itself gave them that opportunity. Right. Nowadays, when you look at contractors in Compton, you don't see any black people working. I mean, you don't see any black people. And more importantly, you don't see any black people from Compton. So when you think about the fact that Compton's unemployment rate is 20% higher than anywhere else, then you have to know that that is because those who are in leadership are not proffering an agenda that says that we hire our own first, that we employ our own. Now, we do have a large Latino population, and if I'm a good man and a good mayor, i got to want the same thing for their children as I want for mine. So when right. I say hire incompetent, I don't mean just hire blacks incompetent. If you're white and you're from Compton, you should be able to work here. If you're Asian Pacific Islander, if you're Samoan, whatever you are, you should be able to eat at your own table. One of the reasons why gang violence, in my opinion, grew so fast in Compton because there was no opportunity for young people to find a meaningful lifestyle. There was no place for them to get a job, no place for them to find the kind of sustenance they needed to take care of their young kids, to build a home, to start a family. So they became street entrepreneurs. And in doing so, that opened up an opportunity for those formerly uh, gang-oriented neighborhoods to become drug-oriented neighborhoods that bore gang flags and had gang insignia. In other words, the Crips were the Crips, the Pyrus were the Pyrus, but when it became a profit motive, when they could actually organize their neighborhood into cartels and right. sell drugs and defend those borders, then the killing exacerbated. And you saw the combination of, you know, I'm a gangster and I'm a drug dealer, I'm a, I'm a killer in the music. You saw black people go from keep on pushing to I'm your pusher man. And that was largely due to the fact, I believe, that there were no opportunities for young black men and no opportunities for young brown men to do the right thing. Now, when you can't do the right thing, you have nothing left but to do the wrong thing. So as a mayor, I sought funding, projects, proposals, means, and ways by which I could take the young people and allow them to get a part of the $163 million annual budget that the city was spending. And most of that budget was being spent on companies that come from Orange County, companies that come from predominantly white communities. Now, people might have said that I was racist, but I dare anybody in the listening audience, anywhere in L.A. County or in California or in America, that can show me a white city that hires all black companies. They right. just don't do it. Yeah, yeah. They hire their own because that's how they keep their community afloat. But the notion that black young men won't work, don't want to work, are lazy. The idea that you can't have them at your job because their pants are beneath their ass. There's no they got tattoos on their face. Bradley. They got beans. Yes, sir. And hey, Mr. Brown, there's no cussing. No problem. I okay. didn't think that. I didn't think that that was a curse word. But, but in any event, in any event, the knowledge and the idea that the African-American male was portrayed in such a negative way, not only in music, but in the movies, on the radio and television, helped foster the notion that you couldn't hire him. 
And when young black men can't work but still have needs, the streets will hire them. They don't even have to put an application in. They don't have to even have qualifications. <coughs> All they need to do is show up. For sure. And so, you know, that was my major goal, to eradicate the murder, to give young African Americans and Latinos opportunities to better themselves, and to give them a choice. You know, if you have a choice between clean water and dirty water, you'll always take clean water. Of course, of course. You, you only drink the dirty water if there's no clean water other. and you're thirsty. Yeah, no other water. Absolutely. And so I think the difference in my vision for Compton and what we've seen in the last 16 years since I've been gone is no one has been able to tap into or they don't see or understand the nexus between me hiring these young men and the crime rate falling and those young men not being able to get hired, not being able to become self-sufficient, and the crime rate rising. Right. Uh, that kind of idea can make a community either live or die. Let me give you some examples. When I would hire young African-American and Latino men to plant flowers in the medium, what I was doing was creating an opportunity for the community to see these young men not tearing the community down but building it up. When people in the community see the young men of the community building the community up, then they have a tendency to embrace those young men, to be proud of those those young men, to incorporate those young men into their daily lives, to say, hey, I'm proud of you. You took our street and made it beautiful. You took a home that was dilapidated and you made it livable. But the converse is true when these young men are contributing to the destruction of the community. When you have young men in your community that are contributing to the destruction of the community, then the people who live in the community become the enemies of those young men. Wow. They disassociate themselves with those young men. That's deep right there, my brother. Yeah, they work on trying to get those young men out of those communities. They cooperate with the police in providing information on how to destroy the lives of those young men. Now, understanding that most of the young men, or either Pyrus or Crips or Bounty Hunters or whatever they might be, never were given a chance to be who they could be. So once we give them a chance to be who they can be, if they don't take the chance, if they don't take the opportunity, then it's okay to say, okay, listen, you know, we can't condone your activities because we gave you a shot to be something else. But if you don't give them a shot to be something else, if you don't give them an opportunity and you still condemn them, then what you're truly doing is condemning not just them, but every generation that comes behind them. You're condemning your own children. You're condemning your grandchildren. Because no one who is given an opportunity that has good sense is going to forsake that opportunity if they can qualify to seize it. What do I mean by that? I never, uh, as mayor, thought that I was going to be able to turn uh, former gang members or former drug dealers into scientists. What I thought, however, was I might be able to teach them the science of horticulture. I might be able to teach them how to trim a tree, how to feed a tree, how to grow a tree, 
and then they may be able to take that knowledge and start their own business. If they had the uh, various vicissitudes necessary to run a business, if they had the understanding of how to run one, which they could get from us, then not only could they have a business, but they could hire other young men from circumstances such as the ones they came from because they know they would be living proof. They would be able to testify to the fact that if I can do it, you can do it. So when you are helping young people, it's like a nuclear reaction. It's a tremendous thing when a kid who's known for writing on offense becomes the kid who's painting the fence. It's a tremendous notion when the kid who would have burned down the house because they were selling crack in it becomes the kid who's building up the house so that some family can live in it. And when the young people see these young men who are their role models, then they then have a target. They have something real and substantive that they know they can do because, after all, we come from the same hood. We come from the same schools. We have parents that are similar. We go to the same church. And so if there's hope for you, there's hope for me. The problem with that kind of thinking is and has always been, <coughs> excuse me, that our country does not like to see young black men think that way. Because once you figure out that, you know, you can become a horticulturist, then the next thing you kind of figure out is you can become an engineer. You can become an architect. You can become whatever it is you think you can become. And when young black men become whatever they think they can become, when they become what they believe they can become, then they become competition for men that aren't white. See, if you're willing to hustle and willing to work hard in a fair and even balanced environment, then a young black man can do anything that anybody else can do. And most of the time, do it better. I believe that, too. I believe that it's true. Some of the young black men that were in the programs that I started now own their own construction companies. Some of them now have their own architectural firms. Some of them now have their own uh, graphic arts companies. Only because if we were going to make a flyer for a concert in the city, we would use people from Compton to make the flyer. If we were going to have balloons at any of our events, that balloon was bought and paid for, blown up and hung by people who lived in our community. We encouraged them to figure out ways how to make money the right way. And then we would offer them contracts. They weren't as large as they could have been, but they were large enough to make a difference in somebody's life. So when you start thinking about a community in a city that is designed to help the people that live here and not designed to put those people in prison, you're talking about a very powerful engine, a very powerful locomotion. Whereas if the college is willing to work along with the young men that I have in these programs, they can come out with degrees. They can come out with credentials. They can come out with certificates. And then they can work at the college. They can actually work at the college that they went to. But how many people in the community like Compton or Watson, Woodbrook or Chicago or Philadelphia that go to a junior college believe that they're going to work there. Right, for sure. I, you know what? And that's the whole thing. It's about taking your seed, planting your seed, trying to see where your seed going to grow. And that's exactly what needs to go on, you know, in the community. Well, when people think that cities like Compton or Linwood or Paramount 
or Downey or Watts are poor, and they're wrong. The Compton Community College uh, Board has a budget of about $80 million. The city usually has a budget of around 190 to $200 million. The school board has about $300 million. So annually, just through government, about maybe $600 million passes through the city economy. Every 10 years, that's $600 million times 10, that's $6 billion. So if we have that kind of money at our access every 10 years, our employment rate should be nothing. But if you have the attitude or if you are affected by the notion or the idea that young black males are gangsters, that they don't dress appropriately, that they're crooks, that they're dangerous, that they're gangbangers, then you're not going to hire them. In fact, you're going to make them more like the image that's being promoted to them because you're not going to give them an opportunity to survive. Now, if they can't get a job in Compton and they're from Compton, or they can't get a job in Watts and they're from Watts, you know they're not getting a job in Anaheim. You know they're not getting a job in Redondo Beach, Beverly Hills, Manhattan Beach. So the whole South Bay, the whole South Bay area, that's the whole South Bay. You're you know? blacked out. And this is why we have to be careful. I'm not, I'm not denigrating Dr. Dre or EVE or Ice Cube, but if you look at a poster of one of their albums on a bus stop and you see that angry face, Right? And you see the beanie pulled over the eyes. Yeah. This is not somebody you want to hire at your job. And you so when the young black men start emulating that look, you know, when they start walking around talking about looking hard, what they're doing is creating a scenario where they're never going to get a job. They're going to always be followed by the police. They're going to be pulled over. They're going to be harassed. And this is a system. This isn't something that just happened on accident. This is a systematic program, whereas hip-hop has made the young black male the villain. And because they're perceived as villains, then they're treated as villains even if they're not. I mean, how many young black men have you seen walking down the street by the police and they're telling the police, but I wasn't doing nothing? No, you weren't, but you fit the image that the society has promoted as the gangster image, the villain. You know, some of these rappers, their, their, their albums are actually, you know, the villain, you know, the gorilla, the killer, the mob, the this. So when you promote those images and you then start becoming treated like the images that are being promoted about you, then you've fallen into a societal trap where it's okay. Not only is it okay for the external community, the white community, to put you in prison, but people in your own neighborhood will be cheering for you to go to jail. Right. They'll be cheering for you to go to jail because they think by getting rid of you, they're getting rid of the problem. And the problem is not the people. The problem is the system that won't allow the people to grow part in the system. Of course. You understand? Yeah. So, so, so when you talk constant politics, it's bigger than... If they fix the streets in Compton, yeah, the streets, streets in Compton need to be fixed. But the question is, who's going to fix them? So you're saying it's in-house. It's more in-house of, a, uh, of the propaganda part that keeps control of the, of the adversaries, right? It's the mentality of black people. Right. Let me give you an example. 
Okay. I, I'm not angry with anybody who stars on Empire, right? Right. But I want black people to start asking yourself the question, when was Fox a friend to black people? Wow, that's deep. That's a deep question, Mr. Bradley. And if Fox is not a friend of black people, what good will Fox do for blacks? And if Fox will not do anything good for black, then how could they produce a television show that is good for you? Which which they're not even producing a good show. I actually uh, uh, talked to someone about that show. Like, you know, that show is really not a show that, I'm fond of, really, you know, to be honest with you, because of just the, 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 the nature of the show. I mean, it's about, you know, grinding and getting your music in, like you say, but it's the, uh, it's the persona and the image that's not true about the way it's really supposed to be in music, you know, the way it's supposed to be, us of the way we was really raised as far as spirit, mind, body, and soul, you know what I mean? So I understand what you're talking about. I just want to do a little announcement. This is T25CL.com. Dot com, Galaxy Talk Radio. This is Compton Politics. This is Lorenzo Elvis Murphy, the host for the night. We have a phenomenal guest, Omar Bradley, Mr. Omar Bradley. I'm going to call him Mayor Bradley. You feel what I'm saying? Because I feel this dude is still the mayor, and I feel it's a Compton in every state, every city, and every country. And I do do feel that it is, it is a big change going on. With, I, I love the enlightenment that you're putting out there, Mr. Bradley. I really appreciate everything in about another five minutes. Um, do you mind if I go to the motherboard and have a couple of questions? We have a lot of callers in, which I want the callers to be very respectful with the questions. Uh, uh, later on, I will open up an open forum. Please be respectful because I will mute you where nobody will be able to hear you. I'm just being real because this is Compton politics. I keep it real. I keep it raw. Uh, and y'all understand what it's about. It's about the West is woke. Compton politics, T25CL.com. We're a 24-hour radio show. Get the app on your phone. Um, sign up for T25CL.com, Galaxy Talk Radio. If you have any music, if you have uh, uh, movies that you need to be have to have your own distribution, that's what T25 is. We know we better than T, we better than Pandora. We better than Spotify. We better than iTunes. We're the same thing. And the one thing I love about it, not hating, it's about um, empowering people of color with me all the way. But this is a black-owned network, and that's what I love about it. They're coming out of uh, uh, Oakland, California, up, up north. So to up north, Los Angeles, uh, uh, the Bay. The South Bay, we all connect. You feel what I'm saying? So we're trying to make power moves in California to make change with these youths. Uh, Mr. Bradley, I'm loving what you said about these youths because I was one of those youths at one time. You feel what I'm saying? And it was people like yourself that, that believed in me to give me another opportunity for where I come from. You feel me? So everything that you're saying, I'm telling you, I feel you from the bottom of my heart because I was one of those young gang banger, big time dope dealers coming out of prison. I couldn't, I didn't have no opportunity or nothing, my brother. So that's why I created everything that I have from rock to rock, Compton politics, bots, breaking on the cycle of hatred, uh, trip L O G, the documentary movie. And you know, you have to be creative when you come. You have to believe in yourself. But it's like I said, it was people like yourself that believed in me and seen something in me. Like you say, everybody don't get everybody don't everybody don't get lucky like that and get blessed like that. So it's my job, like I'm doing right now, is coming back to the community, coming back to the world, and being a, being showing that you can change. You know, I do feel that I am the face of change, and that's why I'm so 
praise and so happy that you're on this line because I know you done been through it. You're still going through it. You have a hell of a story to tell. Uh, I, I know you have a book coming out everything. You know, I hope you have a movie deal coming out, too, later on in the future, and there's going to be a, a number one seller, a big box office. You feel what I'm saying, Mr. Bradley? So uh, in another five minutes, I will be going to the interviews if you want to spit about some more stuff. But I always had this one question about Compton. You know, I was, I'm born and raised from Compton myself, um, and I live on 126 in, in uh, Wilmington. And I always wondered why was uh, the name of the high school changed if you don't mind speaking on that, why was it changed from the first name of what it was? And when the transitioning of the school turned from to the black school, the first first grade year, I think, they gave the name, they changed the name to Tar Babies. And the word Tar Babies is really an insult name. And it's like, that's a so both bo- bo- found name. It's like, why would somebody accept a name like that, even back in the day of the transitioning of, of a racism time and accept that type of stuff because it was back in the day, it was civil rights back in those days. And it's like we have these leaders, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and even uh, JFK, you know, fighting for our rights and these people. And I'm just trying to just ask a question. There ain't no trying to start. I'm just trying to ask, how did that name even come about, Tar Baby? And it was another name before that. Well, the, the, the name of the original Tar Babes was Baby Tartars. A Tartar is an Asiatic Muslim. Uh, as you know, uh, the Huns, who were Muslims, invaded China. And when the Huns invaded China, uh, the combination between Chinese and Hun was Tartar, which simply, if you know what Tar looks like, you know, if you know what color Tar is, yes, yes. then you know that the Huns were black. They may have been Asians, but they were black Asians. So Compton College, which was the original Compton High School, were the Tartars, and then Compton High School was the baby Tartars. But as African Americans began to become the predominant populace in Compton, they, uh, the community, the white community, uh, turned the nickname into Tar Babes, which is an infamous racial slur which is uh, emblemized as a little black um, sambo child. Uh, So, you know, we've got to remember, and this is not to belittle America. We just have to accept the truth. America was founded on the premise of white supremacy, that white people are better than black, that black people are subhuman species. The Constitution was not referencing black people. And at one point, white people actually defined the value of black people, which was three-fifths of a person. And it has taken a long time for those kinds of institutionalized racial identities to wear off. Many of them haven't worn off. Many of them are still with us today, and as late as 50 years ago, when the Tartars became the Tar Babes, mm-hmm. black people oftentimes accepted whatever white people gave them. Wow. Because they were powerless to do otherwise. Mm-hmm. Powerless to do otherwise. Now, once you recognize that black people are in America are the progeny, the offspring, the children of the slaves, then you understand that the white people who are here are the children of the masters. 
Oh, my God, that's deep. You know, that's real deep. You know, I'm not trying to cut you off because we had a, uh, I had a guy on my show like about a year and a half ago, you know, and it was a powerful show. It was so cold. He was so cold with him, Mr. Bradley. I kicked him off my show. And I'm going to tell you just what you said. I'm going to repeat what he said. And he's a brother. And I ain't going to even repeat who his name is. I'm just going to say what he said. He said this. He said that the slave masters need uh, a restitution too. And now we was like on, the, on my radio show, we was like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about, man? And it, it was like really both found what he said. But if you, when I went home, I really thought about it. He said, man, the slave masters went through the same thing the slaves went through. And I'm like, what, the, what are you talking about? Man, you want to get off my show. You're disrespecting my ancestors. You're disrespecting my elders. You're disrespecting everybody. He said, no. And, he, and I said, explain yourself. He said, man, they did, went through the same thing. They waited around for the, the blacks to pick the cotton. They waited for them to load it up. He said they waited, even waited around for the people to come pick it up. And I sit there and said, man, you got to get off my show. And he's got to just, and I, and I kicked him off my show. But what you just said right there is like it's a profound situation for the whole situation of the situation. So what I'm well, saying is, go ahead, go ahead. So let me kind of give you an explanation and your listeners an explanation of why it's profound to understand that we are the children of the slaves and the white folks are the children of the slave masters. There are a lot of white people who came here in the 1900s. They came from Europe and other places, and they'll say, my ancestors didn't own slaves, and that's true. But the culture of the white Anglo-Saxon who was here and did have slaves became the culture of the whites who came here afterwards. And a part of the culture of the whites who owned slaves was that black people were inferior. So that when that culture became systemic, in other words, when it was in all of the institutions, when it was in the books, when it was in the music, when it was on the television shows, for example, you can look at I Love Lucy all day long, but you're never going to see a black person on the show, not one. Now, Lucy is married to a Latino. Mm. But what would have happened if Lucy would have been married to Rochester? It would have if been Lucy a... would have been, what if, what if Lucy would have married Bojangles? They would have lynched Bojangles and shot Lucy. So there's a culture. <laughs> and the culture dictates, the majority culture dictates how everyone else thinks. Now, getting back to we are the children of the slaves and they the children of the masters. You know, if you look on these commercials for Ancestry.com, they got white folks on there that say, you know, all my life I thought I was an Irish person. So I used to play the bagpipes and I used to wear Irish kilts and then I found out I was Swedish. Right? Right, right, right. So as a man thinketh, so he believes. Mm. As a man doeth, so he is, correct? Yes, sir. So if I think I'm of the master class, then I will act on master thoughts, master ideology. So that means if I'm of the master class and you are of the secondary class, then if I join the police department, I don't see you as my equal. 
And if I don't see you as my equal, I can't treat you as my equal. Right. And if I can't treat you as my equal, then that means you don't have the same rights that I have. Wow. We're back to the three-fifths compromise. So that when you see a community where the police are shooting young black males, they're not shooting an individual in their mind. What they're doing is carrying out a culture, which is you're less than me, and therefore the decisions I make about your life are different than the decisions I would make about the life of another child of a slave master. Mm. That goes that so, deep. It goes that deep, right? It goes that so, deep. Yeah, so when you say that someone said that white people need reparations, I don't know if they need reparations, but they show me some psychological treatment because they can look at a videotape of Rodney King being hit in the head. A lawyer can say that Rodney King is trying to get up off the ground, and that's why they are still hitting him, when black people will look at it and say, no, his head is bouncing against the ground and Rick is staying up because he's getting hit by a club. See, we can look at something and see it totally different. So we have to be because they have a master's mentality and we have a slave mentality. Now, people are going to point to Obama and say, no, black people no longer have that because we've got a black president. Well, remember what I told you about Ancestry.com? There's a lot of Swedish people that think they're Irish. Mm. And there's a lot of black people that think they're white. Mm. And if you had a white mother and you didn't know your father, then the culture that she passed on to you was, was the culture of the master class. It wasn't the culture of the slave class. This is why the first black president does not have a slave ancestry. Say that the first, black, the that first black president does not have a slave ancestry. Nobody in his family was ever a slave. Wasn't that before George Washington? Nobody in Obama's family was ever a slave. His father was from Africa, and his mother was a white woman. But you know he's a blue blood, too. He's part of the blue blood. That's why every president is family member. They're cousins and all that. Well, well, that's true, too. But the question then becomes, are there any children of the slaves who are blue bloods? We happen to know that Jefferson had many Black children. We happen to know that uh, Washington had many black children. In fact, you probably never met a white person whose last name was Washington, but I bet you you met a lot of brothers who are Washingtons. So the question then becomes: <laughs> the question becomes, and this is going back to how we see one another. Can we stop seeing each other as the children of slaves? Mm. Can we stop seeing each other in this devalued state? Because if you want to know why a crypt can so easily kill a blood, it's because he sees a blood he doesn't see a human being. Mm. He doesn't see a full-fledged, breathing human being with the capacity to love, the capacity to create, the capacity to, 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 to develop, the capacity to have children. Uh, he doesn't see how taking this life is going to affect the lives of the total black population. All he sees is what he's been told you are. You're just another, you're, you're a blood or a crit. So isn't that, changing. Isn't that called, it's called genocide? Isn't that called genocide, right? Well, it's called uh, self-genocide. 
Because yeah. in a world we live in today, it's not acceptable for one race to kill another one. So how about we come up with a diabolical way to make the race kill itself? Right. And how do I promote the program to make this race kill itself? Well, uh, you go from Superfly, you go from Curtis Mayfield making a record, Keep On Pushing, which is a civil rights record, to the Superfly album where he becomes I'm Your Pushing Man, where the hero of the film is the one pushing the dope in the community. How does the dope dealer become the hero? They doing it. They they're doing it like that. They, that's what I'm saying. With the, like you say, with the with the entertainment, they making they making it no question propaganda. Yeah, it's a big no question. It's psychological. It is psychological programming at its best. Let me give you an example. You know, when they were shooting the NWA film, I had many people who knew the cast and crew, and I, I'm not going to say who I know, but I do know some of the members of NWA. They of were asking me, "Come to the set. Come to the set. Please come up. Everybody's here but you." You need to be here, and I wouldn't go. And then I had friends say, why didn't you go, man? Why wouldn't you come? And I said, because that genre of music has a spirit of death in it. Mm. If you don't believe it has a spirit of death, all you got to do is call Tupac and see the answer. Call Biggie and see the answer. <laughs> call That's Gorilla a- Black and see the answers. Call, uh, you know, Easy e and see the answers. Wait a minute, I you're you, here? Well, I, I believe someone tried, and I don't know, because if you're alive, black, God bless you. Yeah, because I ain't heard of him in a while. But my point is, and I hope he is alive, because you know it's just a woman, but my point is is that when you are involved in a, a an art whose spirit is death, mm. if you stay around it too much, the spirit of death doesn't matter who it t- takes away. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't discriminate. And That's so, awesome. unfortunately, when Terry died, and I had seen Terry just two or three days before he died. You're talking about Terry, uh, Carter. Talking about Terry Carter, right? Terry yeah. was one of the people that was on the set and asked me to come up, and I refused. And, and the reason for it is unreal about what I'm talking about. For sure. The, the, the rap music has in it an element whereas death becomes real, and it becomes the person who's involved in it. Because you can't have a music that degrades black women, that cheapens the life of black males, that promotes misogyny, uh, several men having sex with one woman at the same time, women not having any morals. You cannot have a music that is designed to kill off a race and think it won't kill off an individual. Yeah, it will right. kill you. So, so these are the things as the mayor that I dealt with. I wouldn't let Eazy E shoot one of his videos in Compton the way he wanted to shoot it because I was not going to allow Compton to be used as part of its own genocide. And when Eazy changed the script and changed the lyrics, I let him shoot the video. Now, I took a lot of harassment from the music industry, from Hollywood, from, from the media, because they thought I was exercising, uh, you know, uh, limiting, yeah, limiting the press, right? Yes, supporting them on that level. Yeah, but let me tell you something. If I got to choose between the rights of the press and the life of my people, I know what my choice is. I'm going to take the choice of saving my people because the people that I might save may be my own. You understand? 
Amen, amen. I hear you on that. And right now, I just want to give it up at T25CL.com, Galaxy Talk Radio. This is Compton Politics. This is Lorenzo Elvis Murphy. I'm coming live from all over the world, worldwide. Tonight we've got one of the biggest legends coming up out of Compton. This dude is from, from you know, he's wonderful. I love what he's talking about. He's giving us his story. Uh, right now, if you don't mind, Mr. Bradley, I want to go to the motherboard of that's cool. Uh, everybody, uh, let's be very respectful. Let's ask some conscious questions, and uh, let's be let's be respectful. We're going to go to the motherboard. Do you mind, Mr. Bradley? Go ahead. Okay, I'm going to go to the first caller. Uh, sometimes, Mr. Bradley, people don't say that they're just in here listening. Uh, we got people from all over the world in, probably on the Internet at T25CL.com, Galaxy Talk Radio, Compton Politics, uh, Worldwide Distribution. Okay, I'm going to come into the first caller. Hold on just a moment. Yo, caller, this is Lorenzo Elvis Murphy. This is Compton Politics. What's your name and where you calling from? And what's your question for Mr. Bradley? All right, let me go to the next caller, Mr. Bradley. Yo, yo, this is Lorenzo Elvis Murphy from Compton Politics. We got Mr. Omar Bradley on the line from Compton. The ex-mayor, I call him the still the mayor, you know what I mean? Because this dude spent a lot of knowledge about Compton, which I did not know. Which, who are you? Where you call him from? And what's your name? And what's your question to Mr. Bradley? Hello, um, Lorenzo. This is Rosalind with T25CL as well. Um, uh, it's great having you, Mr. Bradley. It's, a, it's an honor, sir. Thank you. Um, my question is, I know we have, as a people, struggled for such a long time. And it seems we're still trying to find the answers. Tell me, in your opinion, how far away do you think we are from finding the absolute answer to, to our situation as a people? We are as far away, great question, by the way, uh, we are as far away from the answer as we are as far away from our true identity. Uh, as long as we don't accept who we are in terms of our true identity, we'll never come up with the answer. The answer is not violence. It's not uh, militarization. It's not protest. The answer is understanding who we are and capitalizing on that identity. Let me give you an example. Each and every day, black people go out and spend millions of dollars on food. But the majority of us are not going to spend that money with other black people. But if you go into a community where there are Indians, I'm not talking about American Indians, I'm talking about Indians from India. Every restaurant in their community is going to be an Indian restaurant. Every gas station in their community is going to be owned by an Indian. When you go to get your clothes clean, Indian people are going to run. You see, they know that understanding who they are results in their outcome. But as long as you have a false identity, African Americans, black, Negro, colored, all of these identities, Crips, Pyrus, Bloods, Hunters, as long as you have a false identity, you can have no commonality. Mm. But when everybody knows who they are, then it's going to become natural for you to do the things that are going to promote your own survival. 
Do you understand? Because if I believe that I am absolutely the same man as Lonzo, if I believe this in my heart, then I know that what is good for him ultimately is good for me. Amen. But if, but if I think he's different than I am, if you can put a tag on him and create a false identity for him and for me, whereas we don't see each other as one, then we are easily played against each other. This is why it's so amazing to see people like Ben Carson running for president as a Republican and saying the same things as the other Republican candidates when they discuss the heavy-handed nature of the police when they deal with black people. I mean, this man, Ben Carson, says when they ask about police brutality, we got to support the police. Well, there's nothing wrong with supporting police, but that wasn't the question. The question is, do the police have the rights? Are they imbued with the power to snap the lives of black people? Yes, they are. They are empowered to snap the lives of black people because we're not black people. Mm. And as long as you're misidentified as a black person, then white people will always be superior to you. But it is when you come up with your own identity, when you come up with your own value system, when you as a people define what is good for you and what is bad, and stop letting other people give you these ideas, these ideologies, these cultures, this music, these movies, these images of us that are not true, that you remain in a life which resembles hell. It does not resemble heaven. So that's how far we are away. The moment that we accept that we are one and that what hurts you hurts me, what helps you helps me, we get, we get well automatically, instantly. Things begin to change. Wow. That's deep. That's deep. You got one more question, Rosalind? Yeah, because, you know, we, we talk about, you know, all the things that we are going through. And it seems like the struggle is a continued struggle. And even, like you said, with the politicians, Ben, ben Carson, I mean, he is so far from being with the, about the black people as, as like we are from the moon. And, and, and the, the politics that's going on today and the struggle that's going on today, I mean, it's really it's so disheartening to see what's going on, not only in the, the political arena, the economic arena, civil liberties arena, um, immigrations arena. I mean, so many things that's going on in this nation today. It seems like it's such a, such a struggle when you come down just, just to the basics. Can we just get along? Can our, our people just get along as a people? When will we wake up as a people and see that we need to come together? It seems like, you know, like you say, we still have that slave mentality. And when are we going to just take, be ourselves in the head and say, will you just wake up? Hmm. Our brothers, our sisters, our mothers, our fathers, our nephews, our, our, young, our young brothers out there, you know, out there uh, um, um, just it, the struggle is just, it's just it's mind-boggling to, to myself and I know for millions of other um, people that, you know, when are we going to have an answer? And that's, that's what you, you know, like you're saying. 
it's so far. It's so far until we realize who we are as a people, that answer will never come. It's far, and yet it's close, sister. Here's why it's close. It's right up there in your mind. It's right there in your brain. Let me Mm -hmm. give the audience an example of what I'm talking about. I'm on trial again for the same crime that they tried me for 16 years ago. Wow. The case has already been kicked out by the appellate court, but the prosecutors are trying me again. And when they brought me into court, they tricked me down. They told me I had a warrant, but I didn't. got me into court. The prosecutor stood up and said, well, all you have to do is plead guilty to a misdemeanor, which requires you not to run for office again, and we'll let you go home. Now, he said this in front of a, a black judge because his words were basically that we don't ever want you in politics again. We don't want you in office. We don't want you to have a platform. We don't want your ideology anywhere around. We don't want to see it again. Now, listen, I have a choice. I have a choice. I can say, yes, sir, boss, give me a misdemeanor and let me go home. (laughs) I could say that. Yes, sir. Or I could stand up and tell the white prosecutor what I told him. Malcolm, Martin, and Megan died for me to be able to run for mayor council. Yes, sir. So if you think you're going to scare me with a little time in jail, when these brothers took bullets, you got another thing coming. Heat up the prosecution, get all the books together. Because, see, I have a choice to be who I want to be. I can be a coward or I can be a hero. Now, I might live more comfortably as a coward. But a coward dies a thousand deaths, and a hero only dies once. Mm -hmm. Do you understand? I don't want to be walking around here dead on my feet. I don't want my son to see me afraid of what the slave master's child might do to me if I keep saying you're standing on my toe. Right. Because you sending me to prison ain't going to make my toe feel any better if you're standing on it. The only thing that's going to make me feel better is you get off my toe. And the first obligation that I have is to inform you that you own my toe. Now, if you don't get off my toe, then it's up to me to get you off. But if you're going to threaten me with a little time in the hot box, or whipping with a rope or a whip so you can stay on my toe, then I'm a coward if I don't take the whipping, if I don't take the hot box, if I don't take whatever punishment you mean out because I want you off my toe. I need you to understand this. I need you to not only get off of my toe, but I need you to get off of my people's toe. I need you to get off our backs and let us be who we can be. Mm, mm, mm. You see, the reason why black people excel in basketball is because the majority community, white people, want you playing basketball. That's mm. no threat to them. So when you're not confined, you excel. The reason why you can play football is because white folks want you playing football because that's no threat to them. You own the team, but they own the team. You're on the team, but they own the team. So you can play all the football you want to as long as you're playing for them. But if you start trying to figure out how to build a car or how to build a rocket ship or how to build something that might explode, let me tell you something. The master class will deal with you before you get it out the laboratory 
because their intention is to remain the master class, the children of the master. Now, you can't get mad at them for wanting to be in a superior position, but your job is to get them to see you as equals and then to live out your equality. Right. To live it out. Now, you can't live your equality out by letting folks threaten you with prison and then making you bow down and saying, you don't, you, you, we don't want you running for mayor, Omar, but if you don't run, we'll let you go home. Well, you know, I don't want to run for mayor. I'm too old now. But guess what? You're not going to stop me. The that's only right. person that can stop me from running for mayor is me. See, that's me living out my equality. Yes, sir. And that yes. step, in my mind, I've already taken. When I went to prison the first time knowing that I was railroaded, when I went to prison the first time knowing the bailiff in my trial had sued me twice, when I, when I went to prison the first time knowing that the prosecutors were all friends of the Compton police, I knew they were going to send me, and I could have pled guilty and went home. But I'd rather you send me to prison than break my will. Because wow. the moment I break my will, I can't be me anymore. I'm no longer me. I'm what you told me to be. And what's right. wrong with black people is we let people tell us who we are and what we can be. This is why I go back to that show, Empire. You'll never see another show on television where the CEO of the company is a, a, an adulterer, a rapist, a killer, a drug seller. But when we get a company, our CEO is a terrible human being. Of course. He's not filled. Exactly. He cheats on his wife. His wife is bisexual. His son is gay. I'm not talking about homosexual. Be what you want to be. I spoke about that today. I spoke about yeah, that today. You be, be what you want to be. You know, you do what you want to do with your body. That's your business. But the point is, why are you glorifying it in our race when you know that homosexuality does not lead to production of children? So you got to understand what's going on here. See, if I can turn out a race and make it gay, that race will be extinct in 75 years. Of course. If I can put your male seed in prison where they can't procreate with your female seed, your race is going to be extinct. If I can put bullets in your young men so they can't walk and can't uh, procreate, then your race is going to be extinct. And no one asked the question as to why over the last 40 years, Black people are still 30 million people. Why haven't we grown one iota? Mm -hmm. Why aren't we 60 million? You know why we're not? Because we are engaged in homicidal, genocidal lifestyle. The white folks can bring the dope here, but we sell it to each other. We shoot each other over the, for the territory. We rob the people that got the dope, or they rob the people they sell it to because they rob them of their life. Then they put the rest of you in jail so some white person's child can earn $175,000 a year in a guard tower watching you sleep. So in a great way, we are participants in our own extinction. But the moment we get our identity correct, we start to participate in our extinction. But as long as you've got people walking around talking about, I'm a Carver Park Crip, I'm a Great Street Crip, I'm a West Side Piru, I'm an East Side Mob, I'm a this, I'm a that, then guess what? White folks are happy the way you are because you're working a program out where they're going to continue to be 
the superior race in this country. Wow, that's deep. That's deep. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Compton Politics, Lorenzo Elvis Murphy. We have Mr. Omar Bradley, the man of Compton, the legend. I'm going to my next caller. Oh, they call away from uh, South Nevada, man. So this is, like I said, we national. So let me find out who this is. This is Lorenzo Elvis Murphy. Who's on the line? What's your question? Yo, yo, you want to speak? I guess not. This Compton Politics. Let me go to the next caller. Yo, yo, this Compton Politics. This is Lorenzo Elvis Murphy. Who's on the line? Caller from California. All right, now I see y'all shy tonight. Okay. All right, this is Lorenzo Elvis Murphy. Calling from Compton Politics. I see you calling from Southern California. Who is this on the line? Don't be shy. What's your question? I'm not shy. I'm in a distracted area. What's up, Lorenzo Murphy? This is Janae Tyler. Hey, Omar. This is Chandra's daughter. This is JT. Um, I see everybody's been on mute all night, and so you need a voice to speak up from the city of Compton. This is such a positive and productive interview, and I'm glad you're on here, Omar, educating the folks and spreading the knowledge the way that you always have since I was a little girl. So I appreciate you. you, King, and I appreciate you, Lorenzo, for giving them a platform. Um, Compton Politics, you guys are doing your thing. Um, it was a lot of personal politics and stuff and, you know, divisiveness that happened in our last election, but it has not separated our community or the village that is still the family of Compton that makes up the structure of who we are, and we got to save our city and do the best that we can collectively and individually to stay on task and to be the change that we want to be. And I just, again, thank you, Omar, for always staying true to who you are. You know, you've been knowing me since I came out my mama. So I just love you, and I always will respect you. You're still my big uncle, and it's all good, and I'm glad you're on Compton Politics today spreading the knowledge. Well, thank you, Janae. I appreciate it, and I love you, and God bless you and your family. Thank you. That's it. Thank you for calling in, my sister. I really appreciate that supporting me. You know, just one of my business partners out there, pushing the front line out there. You know, you got a lot of people that talk that mess, but, you know, we got people out here that's really pushing that front line out there, making a change with these youths, and also working with these elders, too. You feel what I'm saying? We cannot leave our elders out because we got to understand that us as adults, we turn into kids two times. You feel what I mean? So we got to respect our elders because sometimes we're talking to a kid again. You know, we got to be, we got to revamp them, we got to re-educate them like these cell phones. Got to educate them, teach them how to work, it, teach them, teach them how to go to Facebook, teach them how to make an e- a email. That's all important because when you go somewhere, you can help have them to do something for you. It's like having a part-time secretary. You know, just put a little knowledge out there. Like I say, ladies and gentlemen, this is T25CL.com. This is Galaxy Talk Radio. This is Compton Politics. And you know what's cracking. The West is woke. And I mean the West is woke now. I'm for sure it's woke. I'm loving everything. Uh, it's 834. What I'm going to do right now, I know it's people that's quiet on the line, so that means I can unmute everybody because we only have a couple of people that want to say something. Uh, I know we had a Galaxy Chief, and I know Galaxy Chief – uh, I think you need to come on in right right about now, because uh, I'm going to go ahead and do an open forum. And I know you have some positive positive questions, uh, and I just love what you what you bring to the table, Mr. Omar. And I did not know that you was facing uh, uh, another, you know, them 
coming trying to do double jeopardy. I mean, that's double jeopardy. You can't do that in America. That's unheard of. That I mean, this would be the first time that ever happened. You talk about history being made. Uh, people trying to uh, uh, come and shenanigans. You do the shenanigans to you again. That's that's not that's not too culture right there. So um, it's like. How do you go through something like that again? How do you say? How do you stay so strong? I got the minds wide open. I'm just asking the question. How do you stay so strong and just stay so humble, Mr. Bradley? Because you're a humble man. You, no matter what you went through, if I didn't know you, I wouldn't even know you've been through something like that. Because you're speaking so humble, and I just want to know what keeps your drive on believing in on what you who you are. God, my faith in God. It's tremendous. I believe in God's word. I believe in his will. I believe that even when I was in prison, I was there for a reason. And while I was in prison, my job in prison was just like my job when I was the mayor, to speak to the downtrodden, to give hope to the hopeless, to encourage those that had no courage and to tell them that no matter what they were facing, that it wasn't over. I, I remember distinctly in the home, uh, there was a, a crypt that came through who knew who I was. We are both in the hole together, and I was actually testifying to them about the goodness of God and the power of God. Uh, I was just testifying because you can't see people in the hole. You can't see each other. You just see each other's voices. And I heard brothers crying out, and they were very hurt. You know, some of them were getting life sentences. And one brother said, well, brother, you can't talk to me. He was a crip, and I knew him. He said, you can't talk to me about hope because I got life. And I asked him, who told you you had life? He said, the judge did. I said, the judge is a man. Mm. No man can determine what your life is. And that's what I'm talking about, Sister Rosalind, when I say we're one step away from being free. Because freedom starts in the mind, not with the body. So, you know, as fate would have it, when I got out, I started writing books about being in prison and talking about it and talking about how unjust the system was and how I met people who were innocent and some of the most bright people in the world were in prison and they were suffering. And then as you uh, speak on these things, legislation began to develop where people who had formerly been given life who were over the age of 50 and then had a nonviolent third strike are now being released. You see, if you believe you've got life, then you've got life. But if you believe you've got freedom, you've got freedom. And where you are and who you are is all dictated by what you believe because the ultimate arbiter of who you are and where you are is not on this earth. He's in a kingdom that's not made with hands. You understand? And so when you have the faith that God is the ultimate judge, he is the ultimate power, then the long as you believe that and act on that belief, you never will die. You never will be a slave. You never will succumb to things that are not real. So I do get tired. And, I, you know, I have to go to court and sit there sometimes for four, five, six hours, and they have a hearing that's six or seven minutes, and it's over. I do get tired of getting frisked at the courthouse. I get tired of metal wands. 
I get, you know, when I have my trial, I'm on the security trial. Now, I'm being tried for what's known as conflict of interest because that's the new charge they put on me based on the old facts, and that's why they say it's not double jeopardy. In other words, it's the same facts, but they changed the name of the crime so we can do it again. It's all a bunch of mess. But the point I'm saying is I'm on the floor of the courthouse where the kidnappers, the murderers, the terrorists, that's how they treat me. And the reason why I'm treated that way is because what comes out of my mouth is a killer. What comes out of my mouth is coming directly from God, and I believe that the message of liberation for black people, you don't have to smoke cocaine. You don't have to sell cocaine. You don't have to gang bang. You don't have to beat your woman. You don't have to disrespect your daughter. You don't have to do this. This liberation here will kill our enslavement. And when you're killing the articles, the elements, the, the structure that is enslaving your people, then you become an enemy to the slave master's children because they get rich off our destruction. Now, let me just say this, because I have I don't want you to think I don't have white friends. I have plenty of white friends. Oh, I have boy. plenty of white friends. I have Jewish friends, and I love everybody. But I need to tell them the truth about what they do to us. Because if I don't tell them the truth about what they do to us as a people, then they can't be held in accountability. See, we owe white people to tell them the truth about what they do. They need to know that when we get pulled over by the police, every time we get pulled over as a black person, it's life and death right here and now. There's no guarantee that you leave in this situation. And most of the times when we're pulled over and the police jump out the car, we can see them or hear them unlatching their guns from the holsters. That's right. Many times there's a cop behind you with a gun trained in your head and his fingers on the trigger, while another one is shining a flashlight in your life. But you don't treat white people like that, and you don't put them in circumstances where they're fearing for their life. So whereas in our lives, we fear the police, and in the white person's life, they love the police because when the police come, they treat them right. They make them feel safe. They're there to provide support. But when you come into our neighborhood, we got to take a big swallow because we don't know if you're coming to kill, to steal, or destroy because you don't see us as your equal. Right. You don't see our lives as valuable as yours. You see? And, you know, they don't want a mayor who talks like this. They want a guy who's going to say, well, we've got to support the police no matter what they do. Well, not if they're not right. Of course not. Not if they're committing genocide. Not if they're committing murder. Not if they're part of the drug ring instead of putting the drug ring away. You know, if they're meeting around the corner with the dope dealer and getting that briefcase. Oh, yeah. Then we don't need that kind of cop. You see what I'm saying? And yeah, it's yeah. right for us to fight against that kind of police officer. It's right for us to be angry with him. It's right for us to try to remove the ones that don't treat our children fairly. But it's also right for us to treat and train our children in such a way that they do respect authority when it's legitimate authority. But you're not a legitimate authority if you're cheating with it. You see, an unjust law is no law at all. Mm. So you can't say you're a member of law enforcement when you're not keeping the whole, the, the whole of the law. 
You see, I don't want you to uh, pull over a white person and say, well, you know, I think you ran that red light, but I'm just going to let you get off with a warning. But when you pull over a black person, you jump out with your guns out and you got your flashlight on, and, and you know, and you're ready to kill behind the same red light. So, so can I ask a question? So, do you think they're trained to do that? Or is that port call? And I'm wondering because you know, is that port call where they wake up and they come out and they be told what to look out for that day? Where they no, make it's, no, it's a part of their white supremacist inheritance. This is their culture. Remember, I went back to the Three Fifths Compromise. Right. The Three Fifths Compromise was never abolished. Wow. When did they say this is not the law? Yeah, you got the right to vote, but you still get shot in the back. You got the right to vote, but you get still get choked for selling cigarettes to death. You you got the right to vote, but there are still people who, when they go to jail, you know, mysteriously they find a way to hang themselves. And see, now that I've been to jail, I know it ain't no damn way in the world you can hang yourself. Right. No way in the world you can hang yourself. At all. I've been there. See, so part of God sending me there is to show me that this is a lie. Secondly, you know, when you're in jail, and I've been there now, and, I, you know, I'm not bragging about it. I didn't move to go, and I wish I never went. It's the truth, though. It's the truth. You know, that's what, that's what about counterpart. We keep the truth. We tell the truth because that's what's going to set everybody free is the truth. And a lot of people don't tell the truth, my brother. And like I said, I appreciate you coming to CompassPolitics225ZL.com. Got to talk radio tonight, man, because you landed down. And, you know, actually, we can come back about an hour later on down the line on the site. And pull up this. You can come back and re, listen to the uh, recording again. Come back to t25cl.com, Galaxy Talk Radio, and you can be able to listen to this forever. You can take it and do what you need to do with it. You can let your family listen to it at a backyard event. You can take it to your church and let them listen to this recording. You can take it to a party. You can listen to it in your car. But you've got to get the app on your phone or on your computer because it's a 24-hour radio station at the same time. We play independent music along with all the major artists throughout the world, 24-7. It's no different than a KJLH, a Spotify, uh, uh, iTunes, and all this other technology situation they brought us to the galaxy. But this is the real galaxy, T25CL.com, Galaxy Talk Radio. Uh, I want uh, Rosalind just to put a little shout-out about our other shows that we have throughout the week. And Omar Bradley, I would love for you to probably connect with the other um, shows that we have also because there's other four different type of formats that we have, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, we're trying to get something maybe on Friday if we can later on down the line. But, Rosalind, can you get put a little spill out about the other shows and what's going on with T25? Of course, of course. Well, um uh, again, thank you so much for, for coming to uh, Compton Politics, uh, Mayor Bradley. It's been truly an honor to have you on, sir. Uh, but like Lorenzo was saying, our, our radio shows, we are a great innovative company um, doing global distribution for independent artists. <clears throat> Sorry. We have uh, shows uh, like on Mondays with uh, Compton Politics. Tuesday nights are Straight Talk with the Higher Brush with Miss Barbara McGee from the Penthouse. Awesome, awesome show that she has. Of course, my show is on Wednesday nights at Roswell's Corner. 
and we have such great guests. I've had a great guest such as Orrin Waters from the Waters. I had Lenny Williams. I had the great Cake Johnson before he passed on, and so many different artists that we've had on and great producers and, and politicians and people of the uh, religious world as well from, from different churches. Um, of course, Thursday is uh, Soul Vibrations with Dr. Uh, Nanana Quico and Corey Jeffries, and we're getting ready to start a new show uh, coming up pretty soon. So we're we're doing great things, and we, you know, the thing of it is, what I love about a company like Lorenzo was saying, it's a black-owned company, and we we have full control of our company, our radio shows, and we want to get the word out there, everything that needs to be heard, everything that needs to be said. This is the platform for everyone to come to. So go to www.t25cl, join our family, register, let us know who you are, and, you know, just continue to listen, continue to support us, Uh, not only to listen, but financially. I mean, we, of course, we would love for people to support, you know, uh, the company and to continue to uh, strive to do even better things. We did a concert, we're getting ready to release a film, United We Stand, that was a great effort that we did, phenomenal show that we had jazz, uh, R&B, even gospel, uh, that we did a concert that we are with, we uh, culminated uh, African dancers, uh, the, the Bella Fetti from uh, Senegal that came and joined us too. Um, and it's a documentary along with the concert. So it's going to be a great film, a great film. So I, I look to... Um, uh, we look as a family of T25 still to, to, to continue to do great things. So um, we're still pushing forward and moving on. That's right. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Like I say, this is T25CL.com, Galaxy Talk Radio. This is Lorenzo Elvis Murphy. This is Tom Dan Paula Tax. So one thing, the West is woke, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to have an open forum right now. Does anybody do have anybody have any questions? Anybody want to say something about the whole conference situation? Do anybody know any other information? It's open. Like I said, it's about being respectful, though. And let's be very conscious about what we're talking about because we're trying to get the real message out tonight. Because this is a uh, uh, this is a wonderful night. It's a divining time night for us. So let's take advantage of this night and let's utilize it because remember we can come back and listen to this again and this is making history tonight. Just like I said, I really appreciate it, Mr. Bradley. Anybody else on the line like to speak? Because we have maybe another ten to fifteen minutes, and I'll be shutting down because I don't want to hold up to Mr. Bradley too long. Because I have a long journey back to Los Angeles, also at the same time. But I just want to thank everybody for hanging in here with us, stand on the line with us. I mean, it's very important that, that me to see this line lit up. Nobody has got off the lines, and I really appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. This is Compton Politics. Anybody like to say anything, to talk about something, anybody have any more questions? I know the Galaxy Chief is on, and I hope you come in. Uh, Galaxy Chief, we have about another 15 minutes to go until 9.05, so try to click in, and I can click in, and you can start another level. So anybody have any more questions or anything? Mr. Browder, do you have anything else to say? But let's see if anybody have any more questions. I'd like for a moment of silence for uh, our community to, to, to do better. You know, let's take this show and let's see what type of uh, spirituality we can send out into the universe just by who's on this line right here because this is Galaxy Talk Radio and we are taking it to the galaxy. just want to give a 10-second moment of silence because we got to change from one level to the other. This is what it takes is meditation. 
So I'm just going to count down. A, it's going to be me just counting. We just meditate for 10 minutes. We're going to start back the show. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, bless. So anybody like any have any more questions for Mr. Bradley? All right, then I really appreciate that too. You know, we can probably uh uh Mr. Bradley, you have any more words? I mean, I heard you say that they actually trying to charge you from the same charge. That's that's preposterous, really. That's like that's a bunch of shenanigans too. So well, it's the three fifths compromise. Right. Um, black people don't have any right, rights that white people are bound to respect. So it, it's not shocking to me. And in, in fact, uh, when I began the path and the road that I was walking as mayor of Compton, whereas I decided to actually literally recycle uh, black dollars by making sure that the tax dollars that came from the Compton citizens went back to higher Compton citizens, uh, I knew there would be trouble. You have to understand, it, it, an idea is more powerful than a marching army. And so if you have someone with an idea that works, and it works against that detrimental system that is in place for our young men, it's not only going to clog their system up, but it's going to cost them money. You know, when I became mayor, you, we used to average about 100 homicides a year. And before I left, we were down around 27. Wow. So you have to understand, if 70% or 75% of the homicide rate declines in a black community, if it could happen in Compton, it could happen in Watts. If it could happen in Watts, it could happen in Philly, Chicago, Harlem, New York. Anywhere there are black people, we can stop the killing. There is a formula to do it. But if it is the desire of the system to see black people destroyed, then that idea and that system is dangerous. Population control begins with controlling the population of the inferior race, not the superior race, because he who has the power makes the rules. They also make the policy. So white people aren't going to make any policies to stop the growth of white population but they'll definitely make policies to stop the growth of the black population. But if you come up with a solution to stop that type of gentrification, that kind of genocide, then you become an enemy to the system. And if you then are an enemy of the system, then you become subject to the weapons of the system. The new assassination of the black man is not the destruction of his flesh, but the destruction of his name the destruction of his capacity to organize, motivate, and move black people towards an agenda that's good for black people. Because unfortunately, when you're living in a white supremacist society, what is bad for, what is good for black people is bad for white people. Because it's a competitive society. Now, you can drive through Compton and cities like Compton, and the thing that you're going to notice is infrastructure-wise, nothing works right. Either the water is poisoned or the streets are tore up or the trees are untrimmed or there's dead animals laying around. Well, why is that so where black people live? Right, right. 
That is so because the stress and the tension of living as a black person. You know, I just my brother and I live together along with my wife, and our water bill is $270 for two months. How could that be when the water here is terrible? So you, you give us water that's terrible, and you charge us triple the price. A dead dog might sit on the streets for six, seven, eight, nine, ten days. The streets are torn up. The trees hang out over the thoroughfares. Well, that kind of stress and that kind of tension and pressure for a long period of time causes the population under that stress and tension not to live long. It's no mystery why black people have high blood pressure because we're under pressure. Mm. Sirens, helicopters, shooting, young people walking around half-naked at the store, uh, uh, going to the grocery store, and people who are, are literally uh, are supposed to be checking you out on the cell phone, uh, people walking around in pajamas. <laughs> you you under pressure, and the pressure leads to an early death, which leads to what? A calling of your population. And yeah. so this is why no matter where black people are. Elimination of the population. It's elimination of you. But not through lining you up and putting you up against a wall and shooting you like the Jews were done in, in Germany. No, a more sophisticated brand where you shoot one another up. I shot him because he looked at me wrong. I shot him because he's from so-and-so part. Or he's from such-and-such hood. Well, if you get... 70 to 100 people a year killed in Compton and 70 to 100 people killed in Watts and seven or 800 blacks killed in L.A. and three or 400 blacks killed in San Bernardino. And you add that up across the country, you're talking about thousands of lives, and then you're talking about the children of those people who are now dead and they aren't going to procreate. They're not going to have children. So those lives are lost. So we're talking about a production, a actual system we're at. Black people's population never grows. Now, when you have a brown community that's not under the same rules we're under, not only are they working, but they're populating. You understand? The Pope tells them they can't take contraceptives. So they're having babies. You're going to be out populating. Population equals power. You realize that because. When they take the census, they add up the numbers and they say, okay, well, since there's 30% black people, then 30% of the political seats go to blacks. If it's 60% Latinos, then 60% of the elected officials should be Latino, right? So when your population doesn't grow, you lose political power. When you lose political power, you can't create policies that do good things for you. Then half of these politicians who are black are scared to be black. They don't want to be black. And I, I hate to say this, but our president, I mean, I don't think he identifies. He may get treated like a black person, but I don't think he identifies uh, with the average black person because I, I'm sure as an elected official, when Trayvon was killed, I, I might have said more than, well, if I had a son, he would have looked like Trayvon. I mean, if I was president, I might have said, I'm mad as hell, and I want to see this come to an end. 
I don't want to see young black people getting shot down in the streets. Right, for sure. You understand? Yes, yes, yes. And then to say that he can't say that, well, if he can't say that and if he can't defend, defend black people, maybe we should have had a white president. We would have got the same thing, right? Of course, of course. I feel but that. that's all I have to say. I'm just saying it appears to me yes. more and more that black people are in serious trouble. And part of our trouble is that we have not defined ourselves, and without a de- definition of who you are, how can you recognize one another? I mean, I, I just read on the Internet, I hope it was something that was made up, a, a black actor off the Empire show that he was saying, well, listen, you know, I think all black men should get white women. Oh. Well, listen, I don't know if this brother said this or not, but so my daughter's not good enough for you? Hmm. Well, I got four daughters. I got five daughters, so I'm trying to figure out something. All my daughters are is very beautiful, you feel me, and very well educated. So, And who, I, who are they going? Who are they going to marry though? I mean, how do you find a black male equal for them when society is turning all our black men into either gangsters, it's hard, gays, it's or hard. listen? And I think I finally got the term. They turn them into either gangsters, gays, or ghosts. Ooh, gangster gays, gangsters, gays, or ghosts. Either the young man is a gangster, he's a gay, or he becomes a ghost. And so now my daughter, you know, who does she marry? Who becomes the father of my grandchildren? Who can I rely on? When I met my wife, the first thing I did was went and met her parents. And then before I married her, I told them, listen, I'm going to take care of your daughter. Mm. I'm going to take care of her. And to this day, for the last 40-some-odd years, she's never been home, never had to buy a car. I always bought it, never had to go to work. I worked two jobs because I took my vow seriously that I was going to take care of that man's daughter. But I'm wondering whether you find another me, another man like me, another man that was raised like my father raised me when the hero of this new generation is Dr. Dre, mm. Ice Cube, or some of the newer rappers. Yeah. I grew up listening. I, I grew up listening to love songs that glorified our women. Songs that that taught me to love them and respect them. You know, taught me to value who they were. These young men who are growing up nowadays have never heard a record that says prettier than all the world, and I'm so proud to be loved by you. They never grew up with the impressions, the Delphonics, the Temptations, the Dramatics, songs that encouraged us to treat our women well, to value our sisters and our mothers, to put your life on the line if necessary. Of course. To make sure that black woman is protected. Yes, yes, yes. You see? They've never heard a record like that. And, in fact, I'm always amazed when I sit in the car with my grandchildren and I put my oldies on, they just, they're fascinated. What did he say, Grandpa? 
Oh, he said, please return your love to me. Forgive me for the wrong I've done. Without your love, I can't go on. Instead of, you know, it's better have my money and all these other songs that denigrate our women, make us hate our women, and therefore make other young men hate our daughters. Mm. We got work to do. Yes, we do. And part of the work, though, is to just simply say, we're not buying that no more. We're not accepting that anymore. And please don't make that for us and call it black music. Yes, sir. I feel that. I feel that, you know, because this is Compton Politics T25, and we got some questions on the motherboard. We got a little information about what's going on. The chief just sent me some messages, so just give me about two minutes. I'm going to make some announcements. First, I'm going to say this is T25CL.com. Got to talk radio. This is Compton Politics. This is Lorenzo Edwards Murphy. This is a jamming show. I'm excited. I might not even be able to speak tonight because I'm going to go home and listen to this show again. If I have to before I go to bed, uh, I'm just going to wrap it up with this. I'm going to come back and let you in with some couple of words. I'm sure nobody have any more questions. That's great. Thank you very much for tuning in, sitting in here, dedicated fans, dedicated. No, we family here on Captain Politics. Ain't no friends. Ain't no fans. It's all about family. Okay, I want to just talk about uh, there's a new show on Friday at 5 p.m. The host is Sandra Keys, and her show is called Keys to the Kingdom. It starts on Friday next week. And it also was going to be, it's a new R&B singer coming out. His name is Harold Kell. I hope I pronounced his name right. He's coming soon. And at the same time, there's a new sports comedy show coming soon with Dana Garrett. And this is one more last question for you, Mr. Bradley. And this is coming from the chief, the CEO, one of the CEOs of T25. So they got many team players in the business with them. This is the question. You was actually on it when you was just closing out. This is one more question. You can make it short however you want to do. we got five more minutes. Uh, this is the question from the chief. What is the, what is the solution to the attack on black America? How can it, this be solved? Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, the first thing is to recognize that there is no such thing as black America. See, you you got to, you know, I, I oftentimes tell young people when they say, well, we, you know, we, we want to fight the white man. We want to fight the police. I say, listen, first of all, you don't even make a bicycle. <laughs> but forget making a car. We don't make a bike. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, sir. You, you're dealing with people that have gone to other planets. They make spacesuits and all of these other things. So. You've got to improve you first. Now, how do we improve ourselves? We, we improve ourselves by redefining who we are. Do you understand? If I'm a unit, if I'm a unit that is a part of a system that gives life to that system, then I have an obligation to do my part. I have to understand what my part is. But if I don't know who I am, I certainly can't understand my role. You know, sometimes we get in arguments about whether or not um, our names are important, right? But right. if I gave you a dollar bill and you looked at it and George Washington, the picture of George Washington on it was black, the first thing you would say is this is counterfeit because George Washington wasn't black, right? Right. Well, Willie Jones ain't white. 
But how do you know Willie Jones is not white? When you look at his name, it's white. When you look at where he goes to church, it's a white religion. Now, listen carefully. I'm not talking about Christianity. I'm a Christian minister. Of course. I'm talking about what I'm being taught and what I'm being taught to rely on as my substance to survive. See, if I don't have things in my life that promotes my own survival, then my identity is skewed because I don't know the value of me. Right. So we have to teach our children what our value is, and that is taught by changing our identity. For example, does a good black woman prepare food for her children? Because you've got black women that will tell you, I don't, if you're marrying me, you better know I ain't cooking. Well, listen, I'm not saying that cooking is the sole responsibility of the black female. But it is your responsibility to take care of your children. And if cooking is a part of that responsibility, let's me and you get in the kitchen together because the children are the future. So I don't see you no more as just a woman or a wife, but I see you as part of a system that promotes the well-being of our race. I treat you well. I treat you good because you are a part of a unit that promotes life for our people. I want you to know how precious and important you are. You're more important than your job, sister. You're more important than your paycheck. I need you to nurture and love my child so that my child will in turn know how to nurture and love his and her child. You see, so changing our identity and allowing us to become who we really are as a people, understanding our value and self-worth, that's the answer. See, because... You might say something ugly to me, and I look in your face. If I don't see a reflection of my own, I might kill you. Wow. But if, but, but if I see myself in you, just the mere fact that I know you're a part of me stops me from harming you. And I can just say, well, look, look, brother, I mean, I know you don't agree with me, and I may not agree with you, but we, we're not going to kill each other because you're important. You're somebody's daddy. You're somebody's granddaddy, somebody's sister, bro. We don't do that. These new identities that we have, first thing come out to me, well, look here, cuz. Well, look here, blood. And these type of identities set us at odds. They set us at odds, and they add to us false and fake histories. Whereas you ain't from my neighborhood, and somebody from your hood killed somebody from my hood 20 years ago, so I'm obliged to kill you. I mean, this is not our history. Our true history is that we ran the world for millions of years. Our true history is that our history predates history. And, in fact, history is really only white history because there is no history of, there is no history where you have no beginning and you have no end. When you were always there, why would you need a record of it? And that's who we are. We are Alpha and Omega, the first people and preferably the last. But we have been invited to destroy ourselves, mm. and we do it because of our lack of trust and our inability to see self in others. See, you have to see yourself in others. You've got to see when you were ignorant when you run into an ignorant person. You've got to remember that you used to be thoughtless too. 
you, you know, you got to remember when you was a whoremonger or when you were uh, uh, confused and, and, and troubled in the neighborhood. And then you got to remember that even when you were in that condition, there was still good in you. And that if you could spark the good in that other person, then they can become you. I'm going to close with this. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, there were soldiers that, that watched him die. And then there were also Roman soldiers that saw him get up out the grave and then saw other people get out the grave. And then when they saw this happen, they remarked, truly, this man was the son of God. Now, when you hear that preach and talk, nobody ever preaches and tells you that if you, Joe, get up out the grave, I'm talking about the grave of your mind, of course, other people are going to get out with you. You understand? Yes, sir. Other people are going to get out with you. And mm. even your enemies are going to identify you as who you truly are. See, that Roman soldier that said, truly, this is the Son of God, he was an enemy of Christ. But if you develop your true identity, you throw off them grave clothes, and you start talking about building the kingdom, then your enemies will tell you, and they will admit to who you are. But you got to be who you are first. And if you will accept being who you are, the responsibility of being an African, the responsibility of being, and I, I use the word African truly uh, uh, so that everybody can understand because everybody should understand that Africa is the name of a white man. It's not the name of the continent we come from. Africa was a Roman general. So if you come into your mind and understand who you are, then your enemies will finally stop calling you the N-word and they'll start calling you who you are. King, but he don't have to call you king if you won't call you king. He don't have to respect your woman if you don't respect your woman. He doesn't have to treat you with any kind of dignity or respect if you're not treating one another with it. You see, this is why the first thing that whites throw at us when the white police kill a black child is, well, why don't y'all have a march when a black child kill a black child? They're absolutely right. Don't be mad at us for killing you when you ain't mad at you're mad at each other for killing each other. That's real, though. That's real. That's and they real. got a point. They have a point. Whenever somebody black gets killed, we ought to be mad, not at the killer, but at the circumstances. Of course. You know, we get up every day and we go to Food for More or uh, Ralph's and Tom's and Bill's and Jerry's, but none of us ever go to Abdullah's. None of us go to stores that are owned by us. And yet we spend more money per capita on food, clothes, and, and other stuff than any other people on earth. We will take our last money and buy a pair of tennis shoes, but we won't take any of our money and design a pair of tennis shoes. Yes, so if you don't know if you don't know who you are, you can't win a fight. If you don't know what your boxing style is, you're gonna lose. Are you a slugger? Are you a boxer? Are you a puncher? Black people don't know what they are. So first, we gotta gain an identity that allows us to have a conversation about what is best for us, realizing who us is. I'm going to use the King's English in a funny kind of way. But we have to know who us is. Who are we? 
who are we? How did we get here? What is our current economic situation? What is our current educational situation? And stop waiting for somebody to come fix it. You have to fix it. You must fix your own problems. It is not the responsibility of white people to fix black people's problems. It's our responsibility. I love that. I love that, man. That's a, you know, this show right here was very, very powerful to me. I mean, this I've been this is my, like my 90th show, and it's like my third year. And you know, for my first show, I, I didn't think that something positive was going to get this far. But man, I just want to just commend you on what you about, what you've been through, what you're doing now, uh, the knowledge that you spit into the world. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you know you have a book coming out. I think. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm just asking. Well, I have, a, I have a book that's out called The King of Compton, and I want those who see the book to remember that whites called me The King of Compton. I didn't call myself. I never called myself The King of Compton. But because whites called me that, I said, well, I'm going to take these lemons and make lemonade out. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yes, sir. I know who I am. I don't care what you call me, just spell my name right. Of course. And so, <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And so this is this has to become – have you ever noticed you don't see many Japanese running for office, but you see their business is blooming? You, you don't have to worry about a Japanese running for president or a Chinese-American running for president because they don't need that. What they need to remember is all Japanese people shop with Japanese people. All Chinese people shop with Chinese people. And so they begin to recycle their money. And as they recycle their money, their community thrives. But when you go to the black community, if you want to have a baseball program, you've got to ask the white company to give you money for black children. The moment you do that, you've lost. Because if your children see that you got to go to a white company to get some money for them to play baseball, they know you're not in charge. And if you're not in charge, then why should they respect you? Wow. That's D2. That's another – see, that's a whole other show. See, that's a whole other show right there, Mr. Bradley, because it's, it's, that's a major big problem out there. People selling out our communities. You feel what I'm saying? That's not the point on – that, like you said, is empowering our own self. We can actually recite. We're making one point. What is that? One point seven trillion dollars a year. Why can't we? How, what do we need to do? I mean, we're going to end the show because it's nine eighteen. Uh, 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 but what could we do to change the direction on how our money flow, how where our money go? You know what I mean? Because we make we spend one point seven trillion dollars a year. Well, you're what? doing it right now, though, because you've got your own show. That's how it begins. Okay. You know, you got to step out and step forward. Yes, sir. But you must have your identity intact. Yes, sir. You must know who's taking the step, who you're taking the step for, and where the step leads. You can look at every black power movement, every civil rights movement that black people ever had, but not one of those movements had an economic element to it where it enfranchised black people to take care of black people. In other words, 
just because we didn't ride on the white folks' bus, it may have hurt the white folks' pockets, but we should have been trying to build our own bus company. Are you feeling me? Yes, I am. I'm always about that. You know, I've always been willing to empower people of color. You feel what I mean? That's my one of my movements around the world because if we don't empower ourselves, it's like everything that I do with myself. I have created some stuff, man, that's just – it's a profound situation for me. You feel me? And I feel everything you send because it's a blueprint of your own life. I don't have to wait around until I'm not. I don't wait around for somebody to tell me I'm great. I look in the mirror. And I pat myself on the back, and you know I do that, and I hug myself, and I tell myself I love myself. I don't have to wait for nobody to tell me how great I am, how how wonderful I am, because I wake up every morning and God wakes me up and He lets me know how great I am. So I just want people to know that I appreciate y'all calling in tonight. Thank you for calling in, Mr. Bradley. It was an honor to talk to you. Thank you for opening up to our community. I mean, I'm sure you I, – I, I never heard you gave an interview nowhere else. You feel what I'm saying? And it's an honor for me to even sit here as what we sit and talking to you on a radio. You feel me? Uh, uh, I know you minded to be on your show. You feel what I'm saying? And I know you don't do that. So everybody, we got to understand it was a blessing to get this man on the radio. I mean, I think – other people have been wanting to get an interview with you. But what really, and I ask one question, and I'll be done. I, mean, I just want to know because God always talking to me. You know, I'm from the streets. I did time. I got caught up with Rick Ross, and I did my eight years. And, you know, I helped, was there on the front line with the crack era and everything. But I paid my dues, and now I'm out of it. That's why I'm giving back right now. And it's just a miracle, and it's a blessing to be able to know as other individuals as yourself that been through something, and there's a lot of more brothers and sisters that's out there that's going through things. We've got to remind ourselves that, as they say, that it's 40,000 prisoners coming out, there's 40,000 prisoners going in. Just like Mr. Bradley is going through it right now, they're trying to send them back in. Come on now. There's 39 more thousand guys that's waiting to go in, just like Mr. Bradley. So let's not let the system fool you about 40,000 prisoners coming out. There's a revolving door. Half the, the guys that's coming out is going to be on parole, max, max, max uh, security, out of prison. So let's not get the game twisted because there's a bunch of propaganda going on out here in our communities. But it's our responsibility to step in and just do your part. But you've got to stay in your lane. That's the main thing, to stay in your lane, and everything's going to remain the same. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Compton Politics. The West is woke. This is T25CL.com. Galaxy Talk Radio. Um, I'm just excited that this, you know, I'm excited about this show. I'm Like I said, y'all go back after the show, wait about an hour, and go to T25CL.com, Galaxy Talk Radio, the blog. You'll see the little blogs up on the computer, the different, like, talk radio, artists, but hit Galaxy Talk Radio, then you're going to see the radio show. Then you hit Content Politics. My page is going to pop up with my little instructions, then you hit that again, and that's what's going to take you straight to all my radio shows. Uh, uh, and you can take it, you can download it, you can listen to it, get the app on your phone or on your computer, T2, what is that, www, no, no, t25cl.com, that's the app. Go to the website, www.t25cl.com. And uh, I'm going to end the show right now, Mr. Brad, Mr. Uh, man, I'm burnt out too, Bradley. I appreciate everything. You have any last words you want to say? Believe in God. And thanks for having me. For sure, for sure. Y'all know how I count down. I'm finna count down. You know what I do. I'm going to start now. Thanks to everybody from calling in. I'm going to start it from five, four, three, 
two, one, Compton Politics. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.